before our children leave us here this morning, just wanted to share something with the whole group here while while we are together. How many of you are doing our read read the chapter every day? How many are doing that? You young ones, you would benefit from picking up on it too. Just one chapter a day, reading in there. But we're, we are scheduled to uh, read over Matthew 24, I believe, tomorrow. And this is the part where Jesus is asked some questions about the end times. I want to read part of this this scripture for you. Because every time that you go into the Word of God, there's going to be some new things that you can see. That God will open up some things that you hadn't seen quite before. I want you to see this in verse 1, chapter 24. It said, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, when you look at that, it says here that Jesus had gone to the temple and departed. Now, Jesus is older than the disciples. They're, they're younger than He is. Jesus has been in the temple more times than they have. And for longer. They have at least been to the temple two other occasions for the feast before. Why is it that upon this time they leave the temple, which is at least the third time, if not many, many more beside that, why is it that this time they say, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple? Do you think that Jesus never saw the buildings of the temple before? Are they going to show him something new? Do they really think that they can teach Jesus something about the buildings? Why is it that of all the times they've been to the temple and have left the temple, this time they decided to, to show him something? And I can't exactly answer that question for you, but it would seem that somewhere along the line they saw something, remembered something about the temple, maybe somebody had told them something about the temple, and they decided to bring this up to Jesus and to let Jesus know. As you go along you may get revelation on things that God already knows. But as you begin to talk to Him about it, and as you begin to discuss with Him what you are now learning, even though He already knows it, and you begin to talk with Him, and you begin to share this with Him, Jesus then said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then He began to teach them about end times. Upon Jesus saying this to them, they asked three questions of Jesus. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And because of those three questions, we have Jesus' perspective on the end times. If they had not come up to Jesus and said something to Him about the buildings, that they had already been with Him in and out many, many times before, if they had not come up to Him and said this to Him, would Jesus have said what He said and would their questions ever have been asked? Something seemingly very insignificant. They found something about the building and they were telling Jesus about it. Don't ever stop yourself from telling Jesus about what you're learning, about the revelations that you receive. Because as you begin to go over with Him the revelations that you receive, the things that you understand, the things that you now perceive, it gives Him opportunity to say things back to you. And this has happened so many times in the Word. We then are equipped to ask questions we never thought of 
and never asked before. We'll have to wait until we get to heaven to find out. But the disciples never brought up some kind of thing about the building of the temple. Would we have had what was written in Matthew 24 and 25? Just something to share with you. Make sure you're reading your chapter every day because God will show you some things. And children, you are dismissed. How many of you have some people in your life that you would classify as scoundrels? I mean people that you just wish with everything heathen in you that they would have bad stuff come down upon them. It's just hard for you to even see good things happen to them. But yet good things happen to these people that we look at as scoundrels. Have you ever seen that? You have people in your life that are scoundrels and yet good things happen to them? Does it make you mad? Does it get you upset? Do you ever look at yourself and say, look at all the good things I'm doing. How come they're getting blessed? Why are they, Why is it that they have stuff? So we're going to take a look at a story here today. It's one that we haven't looked at all that often. I'm sh- it, it may be one that you, that most of you should know. But as I look, look back on this, it looks like it's only been one time in the last uh, couple of decades that we looked at this in any in-depth part. And the last time was about eight years ago. But we're going to take a look at it here today. And so with that, will you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 25? 1 Samuel 25. Last week we were looking at people of honor, that they live to the honor that is on the inside of them. You want to increase that honor. You want to keep growing in that honor. People of dishonor, dishonor change according to how they feel or what they see. The greater the honor that you live... The, I'm sorry, the greater the honor in you that you live by, the more dishonor around you, you will live above. You will see more dishonor. You will recognize more dishonor. You will see it there. If you want to increase the honor that you live in, we give you four things. First off, feed on the Word of God. Don't just read it. Feed on it. Discover and live up to greater honor. Associate with people of honor and resist the dishonor around you. Don't adapt to it and don't become it. Sometimes it's very hard to live apart from the world, but we can. First Samuel 25, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, buried him at his home in Ramah, and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, of all the things that are going wrong with Saul, about the only force that we know of in his life that is keeping him on the good side is Samuel. And now Samuel is dead. I don't know if he was the only force, but he sure was the the one that we heard about the most. What happens to Saul now? Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats. Now that seems like a lot. I mean, there's other people who have had more, but that still seems like a like quite a bit. If you had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, that's 4,000 livestock. Some of us have a hard time taking care of two cats and a dog. But he has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. 
he was of the house of Caleb. So he's of a good house, but he sure didn't live up to that house. Now it says he lived in Maon, but his business was in Carmel. So I looked both of these things up. Carmel is a, just under two miles north of where Maon is. And as I look at the pictures, Maon is, is not as rich in greenery as Carmel. So since he has livestock, for some reason he wants to live in this place of Maon. Um, there's no town there now, but whatever was there, maybe it was a prestigious town, maybe it was something that, that he just liked, uh, the house there, whatever it was. But his livestock wouldn't have done well if he kept them there. So he had them go with the, the um, caretakers, and they went uh, just under two miles north of where this is. And this is all fairly close to Hebron. So uh, his name, you may have uh, remembered this from before, but his name, Nabal, means fool. Now I wonder about this. Is his name Nabal and his parents gave it to him? Is his name Nabal because this is what people called him? Because this is how he acted? And um, I don't know what that is. I can't imagine parents naming their kid fool. That just would seem to be very unusual. But here in verse 4, let's go on. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all his, these words in the name of David and waited. So they presented this to him and and, and David was the one who sent him. David's name is pretty well known. Israel knows him. He has defended many of the people in the area. Uh, he went out to war. People have talked about him. He was a well-known person in the land. And so he says, go in my name. He says, we watched over your sheep. We watched over your livestock. We watched over the men who took care of your livestock. And you were missing nothing. And we didn't come down and, and take anything from them. Obviously, they had the force to be able to do it, but they didn't didn't do it. Now, it says in the Word that when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, what that means is this is a time of, of prosperity and generally generosity. Most times when people are shearing their sheep, if you have sheep and you shear them, you are suddenly getting a whole lot of harvest at one time. So you take all the sheep, you shear them, you've been growing this this fur for a long time and uh, this is this is a good time to go out there and to get it. So they should be, he should be in a very generous mood because a lot of money is coming in at one time. David sends at this time and not during the other times because he was watching over their, their uh, livestock. This would tell us a few things that probably went on in the story and we're jumping in here in the in the middle of it, but probably what happened here 
is that while David was in the area and these men came out to where they normally come out to have the sheep graze, that some forces came to try and steal some of their sheep. And David's men observed it and didn't want to see that kind of stuff go on and so they stood and defended it. When they saw that this was going on, they decided this is a a rich man. This is a man who has lots of stuff. We could take his stuff or we could guard it. And they decided we're going to guard it. And so they actually made it a point to put guards around and to be a wall to them. So that's why I would say they probably observed some people trying to steal or trying to do some things beforehand. And so they decided to uh, take action. And so for the number of times they were out there grazing and uh, growing this fur, that they would be they would be sold. Anybody like to wear wool stuff? Anybody like? How many, how many people don't like wool? Don't like wool at all. A couple of people just don't like wool. See, wool has the reputation of being itchy. How many don't like wool because it's itchy? Yeah, you don't have the right wool. You need to go out there and get a, a different kinds of wool because wool used to be itchy. Sweater wool sweaters they used to be itchy and so forth, and now it has completely changed. They have um, they have totally reformatted this. Uh, this type of a garment. And so I would certainly recommend go out there and try some wool garments and, and try them out. Now, one of the things we always hear about wool is it's hot. How many think wool is hot? Yeah, you would be wrong. You would be wrong on that. There's a, I've, I've talked about it before, but one of my favorite things to run in is a, is a fabric called merino wool. It is. I almost wear it year-round. Almost. I don't quite wear it on the... On the 90 degree days, mostly because they don't make the stuff in the merino wool in the stuff that I would wear going out there. But um, once I switched over and I found socks that were merino wool and I run in the winter, I won't wear anything else. Because if it gets wet, you stay warm. See, that's, this type of wool does not lose its insulating power because it is, um, it is wet. It's phenomenal that way. It has the ability to regulate temperature in fact you can't t- you can will never be able to tell this but what i put underneath my dress shirts is wool it is a wool because it regulates temperature so well and a merino wool also you can wear it for days and it will never smell if you if you wanted to you don't have to but but you can but i have a couple of those pieces that are running things and i can run in the same shirt for days and it will never smell like i ran it at once it's a phenomenal Absolutely phenomenal uh, stuff. And it's soft as can be. Now, the only downside to it is you've you got to be careful how you wash things. But I'm careful how I wash everything. I, 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 don't, I don't just throw everything in there and just wash it. I'm really careful. This thing, no, this goes by itself here. This gets done here. And, you know, we're just, we just separate all that sort of stuff out. But it is a phenomenal thing that you can... Now, it's, it's not cheap, but you don't have to buy a whole lot of it. You don't... Uh, it, it'll, it'll work well for you. So it's, you, they actually sell this for more money than other things. So when you have wool, and they didn't have a whole lot of products back then, but they had wool. The wool, cotton, linen. But wool was one of the more prized ones. So if you had the, the sheep that would do this, and merino wool comes from a certain type of sheep. I don't know if that's the sheep that they had, but it comes from a certain type of, of, uh, of sheep. There's other types of, uh, things to do with wool. I may have ever heard of worsted wool. That's the process they put it through to make it a little bit softer, but it still doesn't have all the regulating uh, things that a merino wool would have. So don't write wool off. There's a lot of good things that you can get from it even today. But 
this was a this was a time when you could bring in a lot of money. You got three thousand sheep. The shearers show up. We are shearing off those sheep. You ever seen that process go on? Yeah, I don't like watching the process. It looks it makes that wool look ugly as can be. I mean, it's just ugly stuff. But then they take it from there, and you know they bleach it out, and then they dye it, and they do all sorts of stuff to it, make it look really nice. So it's out there. It can be be real good. But he's got a lot of money coming in right now because the shearers are here. They don't shear all those sheep in one day. They shear it over a couple of times, uh, a couple of days, maybe even weeks. And so as they're shearing, as the shearers are there, David sends his men. And he, he, what he sends them for, he's sending them to collect. Which will tell you this, when David was protecting them, he wasn't imagining protecting them for free. He imagined that we would get paid for this. Now David is an outlaw. How many jobs are available for outlaws? There's not a whole lot of work for outlaws. Most of the men that are with him, uh, they don't have any work either. So if you are going to work with David, you have to either go to war and live off the spoils or offer protection. And most of the time they've been offering protection. They don't get paid for it. In fact, they've even been betrayed for it. And that didn't go over so well. I'm sure his men didn't like that. But here they are protecting them. And David probably told them when they're protecting them, let's watch over him when the shearers come. We'll go in and we'll, they'll give us a percentage of that. And that's at least some, some money we can do to buy some food with or, or whatever. So instead of asking for a fee, they asked for some food for the men for the, the feast. We got a feast day. We don't really have the ability to go out there and to get the things we need. We're asking that you would send this for us. So David doesn't ask for a reward at the time protection was given. They gave the protection. And they waited for the harvest when it would be easier for Nabal to give that, give something for it. So there must have been a loss before. Probably there would have been losses in the years prior. So here's, if you, you got to picture this whole thing. Nabal has had these sheep. Maybe he's been growing the, the sheep, maybe he started out with a thousand, then two thousand, then three thousand, whatever it is, he's been probably growing in numbers of the sheep. But one of the things that would come out in inventory is they would say, well, we gained so many sheep, fifty sheep were born, but we also lost twenty sheep to some wolves. We lost uh, some more people, some uh, maybe thirty got stolen, people stole them. And so Nabal, being the scoundrel that he was, and he was kind of uh, miserly, it seems, he is probably watching these these things and watching these people. More often than not, scoundrels do not trust anyone because they know they themselves are not trustworthy. So they don't trust anyone else. They believe if I had the opportunity, I would steal from you, so more than likely you're going to try and steal from me. That's just how they live. And so they're, they're, he's keeping a close eye on things. All of a sudden, this one year, they come back and they have more than they went with. How is this different? How is it that there's, there was nothing stolen this year? There was nothing eaten this year. How is it that all of it comes back? Now, his thought probably is, finally, you guys were not dishonest with me. The men probably said, there was a, a group of men here, of David's men, that protected us. And they were like a wall to us. But he probably rejected that and just said, nah, you guys are just, you weren't able to. I put some things in place. You weren't able to steal from me the way that you were before. Whatever it might be. 
I think I put this in your outline for you, but if you speak wise words to a fool, they will per- be perceived as foolishness. Be careful how much you say to people that are fools. Because they're going to take your words and twist them. They're going to hear your words in a, in a wrong way. But you can often locate people easiest by speaking God's wisdom to them or asking wise questions of them. Isn't this what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus ask questions of the religious leaders and their answers would pinpoint where they were? Didn't Jesus make statements and he would watch how the people reacted? You can do this, even with the people that you are around. And you'll be able to recognize the fools from the people that are wise. Verse 10, Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? He knows exactly who they are because how many people are in Israel that don't know that David is the guy who slayed Goliath? That story got around. How many people are there in Israel who do not know that David led people out and killed 10,000, Saul killed thousands? How many people are in Israel that do not know that Saul is trying to hunt David? How many people are in Israel that don't know that Saul wiped out a city of priests because they helped David? He knows exactly who David is. But he's not prepared to give him anything. Who is David and who is his son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? He may even be saying something like this. Just because you say you're David doesn't mean that you are. You may have been somebody who just broke away from some slave institution and you're just trying to get money off of me. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. You know what that means. So every man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword and about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. So about 400 men are coming after him. They once protected them. Now they're ready to come in and to kill them. Pick up over here in verse verse 14. I think you have room for, for writing this in your, your outline. But if you want to, you can write this down. The more people hold on to acting in godly honor, the less they clutch this world's goods. The more people hold on to acting in godly honor, the less they clutch on to this world's goods. The opposite is true too. The less they hold on to godly honor, the more they hang on to the things of this world. That right there will tell you a lot about what people hold on to. If you want to find honorable people, find generous ones. Verse 14, Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the field. They almost give the impression that they followed David. Wherever David was going, we're going to stay over here where they are. Uh, that surely would make it easier for David. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. So David's 600 men took shifts 
And part of those shifts were watch the things that are going on. So some of the men stayed up at nighttime to watch over Nabal and his men and the sheep and the goats that they had. And they did this for all the time that they were there, which was probably for a long period of time. We're looking at weeks to months that had gone on. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no, that one cannot speak to him. Now this will tell you all sorts of stuff. Maybe even in your work environment. In your work environment, you may have said already, you have some scoundrels working in the work environment. Do you also have some good people? So if you need to get something done, you go around the scoundrel and you find the good people. You find the people of honor. And you work with them to do this. Sometimes people get convicted. Well, how come you're working around that one? Because they're a scoundrel. There are sometimes there are people in your life that you have to work around. And it's just wisdom to do that. These are just terrible people. Don't be telling terrible people things, just everything that's going on. Sometimes you just need to smile and just, uh, how you doing? And just go on. You don't have to give them all the information. They're scoundrels. They won't do anything good with it. They won't, they'll try and hurt people. So they came over here to Abigail. Because they said, well, Abigail, if anything can be done, Abigail's the one who can get it done. And uh, we know it's not going to be great if they come up here. I don't know if they're thinking that David would kill them, but he might. Now, David could be saying, like many of us, I know God will avenge this, but... I want it now. Anybody else felt like that? I know God will avenge these nasty scoundrel people that are in my life that have cheated me of certain things. I know God will do that, but I want it now. Hmm. Won't they have a commercial on TV like that? I want it now. Some uh, some financial thing. If you had uh, you have money coming to you, you can get it now. So one of the young men knew about what was going on here. He made sure to get to Abigail. What's interesting to note here is that everyone on staff knew knew what he was. Everybody on staff knows what Nabal is. He doesn't try and hide it. You know, the, the, the more people get away from acting honorably, the less likely they are to conceal it. They think their dishonor is honor. And they they have no shame about it. They just put it out there. They're just scoundrel. Because sometimes you look at these people and you say, how can you operate and be such a scoundrel? How can you do that? And, uh, yeah, we haven't, this is in the time of year you watch it, but, uh, I think there are like, uh, 40,000 versions of Scrooge. Something like that. I mean, there are Scrooges all over the place. They just keep remaking the thing and finding a new way to do it. There's Scrooge the Musical. I may have ever seen Scrooge the Musical. That was entertaining. I enjoyed that. Uh, they did a Scrooge with my favorite, one of my favorite characters, Captain Picard. They put him in there as a, as a Scrooge. I enjoyed that one. I, I liked him as uh, as the Scrooge. He was good. The original one is too dark for me. I, I just don't enjoy that one. I, uh, that's uh, that's not one of my favorites. But there's there's other ones out there that they do. Some of them are humorous. Some of them are serious. They have different different ones that are out there. But we watch the thing Scrooge and you wonder, how can a person get to be this vile, this evil, this angry, 
this miserly. Every single one of these versions that you look at, when you look at how he lives, he lives in a very poor condition. He's always trying to save and to, to skimp because when you get into this kind of condition, you are not generous with your money. In fact, you don't even become generous with yourself if you let yourself go this much. And, and Scrooge was a character who really let himself go quite a bit like that. And then when the uh, when he gets taken back in time, he is shown times when he was more honorable. He has shown times when people let him down and he became bitter and he became angry. And they began to show him the, the process of what he went through. And then he woke up to it. And of course we all know the Christmas morning he woke up and he uh, decided I can't be this way anymore. I have to change it. And he did. And this is uh, something that you would like more people to go through to realize how evil they have been how miserly they have become, how ungrateful they are, how selfish they are they are becoming. This is what the enemy wants to turn people into. Don't let the enemy turn anyone that you know into this. Try and, try and talk with them. Nabal was one. People probably tried to talk with him. People probably tried in, to pull him out. you got to wonder, how does Abigail end up with him? Is it a prearranged marriage? Did she have no choice in it? Was he a different person back when they got married and had become this way? And uh, we don't have any of those answers. We don't know any of that sort of thing. But somehow this very, very bright, very cheery, very pleasant woman was teamed up with this very miserly, very Scrooge-like individual that no one seemed to like. And probably the only reason they worked for him is because... That's all they can get. Or maybe he paid decently enough or they thought, we're up or here in Kamel. He's down over there at Nabal. Or Nabal, he's, he's uh, Mayon. We, don't, we won't see him a whole lot. We don't have to deal with him. Everyone on the staff knew what he was. No one felt like they could help him. No one felt like they could talk to him. It seems that even Abigail doesn't feel like she can talk to him anymore. Verse 18, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 floves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five saves of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs and load them on donkeys. That seems like a lot to get ready. I don't know exactly how much time it takes to get ready, ready all those things, but either they had some stuff in the process or they just hurried up to get the process going. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She didn't tell him because she's trying to conceal it. She didn't tell him because she didn't want him to be able to stop her. She is going to tell him later on. She's not trying to conceal this. But you, I can't have that fool stop me now. we got to get on here and we got to do this thing because if we don't, there won't be any kind of discussion afterwards. So she, um, she leaves him out of it. And he said, and she said to her servants, go on before me, see I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that he belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. 
Now, just because you put God into this phrase does not mean that God is in it. There's a lot of people that say, they put God into things that they say. Doesn't mean that God is in it. God is not in this. And this is right on the heels of him dealing with Saul in a very merciful manner. And now we're dealing with Nabal in a very vengeful manner. Verse 23, Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, Oh, oh me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. <laughs> she's not trying to hide anything. She knows who he is. She doesn't, she's not trying to have any kind of positive confession over him. She knows that if you don't want to change, people can confess all kinds of stuff over you. It's not going to change you. He wants to be a scoundrel. For as his name is, so is he, Nabal. In other words, fool. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and have avenging, and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found on you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. I'll stop there for just a minute because she goes on. But what she is saying here is this. Don't blame Nabal. He's a fool. Fools speak foolish words. It's not his fault. He's, he's just a scoundrel. I should have seen your men coming. I should have intercepted them. I should have been in the way. If I had seen them, I would have been there and you wouldn't have dealt with Nabal because I know how he would have dealt with you. And it wouldn't have been good because he's not a wise man. He is a fool. He is a scoundrel. Please forgive me for not seeing the man come and having been here. This is what she's saying. And she blames herself for this. She talks about a man that has risen to pursue him. And he says, look, let everybody, everyone who's against you, let him be like Nabal. Let him be like a fool. And may God take him and sling him. In other words, as far as you can take a stone, put it in a sling, and send it sailing, let that be as far as your enemies are from you. Now that would tell me that she knows that David knows a thing or two about a sling. Probably knows about the story of David and Goliath. Which means if she knows about the story, guess who else does? And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that He has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. Abigail knows that David is the coming king. If Abigail knows that, the, that he is the coming king, how many other people around Israel know this? That this will be... No grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, neither that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. 
Now, it's a lot of words in there, but basically what she's saying is this. Do not avenge yourself. If you avenge yourself, when you become king, and I know you're going to become king, God is going to make you king. When you become king and you get put in that position, you are not going to have a hard time dealing with people who took revenge for themselves. If you take revenge for yourself, when you are a king, you're going to have to judge those who took revenge for themselves. Now, if you have to judge them, it's going to be hard for you because you're going to be thinking, but I did this when I was in their shoes. And it's going to compromise you and how you can deal with them. So don't do this. Let God avenge you. Take the gift that I brought and go your way. But don't go this direction because when you get in that position, you don't want to have this on your record. You don't want to have done these things. And that's wise. Sometimes we act because of what's going on today. We do not act because of where we will be tomorrow. I have to always be keeping in mind, God is taking me to places where I am not yet. And if He is taking me to another place, then I have to make sure that how I am acting here is in line with what I need there. Because if I compromise myself here, how can I operate and function with what I'm supposed to do there? We've got to keep in mind, where is God taking us? And will my words, will my actions, will my anger, will my vengeance, will these things come back to haunt me? How many times do we hear of political people that are doing things in office and then it comes out, wait a minute, you say this, but you did this. This is what she's saying to him. Don't let that, don't let that come about. Basically, do what is honorable for God because God is always watching. Do what is honorable for God is always watching. And when the time comes, no one can look back on your conduct and disqualify for what you may have or may not have done. Follow your spirit. See, the Spirit of God knows where He's taking you. And if the Spirit of God says, Steve, don't do that. Why? Everybody else does it. But I'm telling you, don't do that. But I want to. I mean, brother, sister, so-and-so did it. And they seen, and everything seemed to be fine. How come I can't? Because brother, sister, so-and-so isn't going to the same place that God's taking you. Listen to it. There'll be t- sometimes he'll tell you to do things and sometimes he'll tell you not to do things based on this. Verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she just... Whoops, where did he read that one? How did I get back on that? Where do we leave off at? 31. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that was spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself but when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord then remember your maidservant. Remember your maidservant. Go over to verse 32. 
I'm missing that one, so I'm going to read it from the screen. Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Well, David is saying right there, If you would not have come, I would have killed all the men. They would all be dead. And they probably would have. David would have accomplished it. And then David would have to live with that. How would Israel respond if they hear David came in and wiped out an entire rich man's house and took all his stuff? They would probably, some of the public opinion would probably begin to side with Saul. Maybe Saul is right. Maybe David is not the person that we think he is. Maybe he doesn't deserve to uh, to be free. Maybe we should side with Saul to catch him and put him to death. Maybe he doesn't deserve to be king down the road like the rumors are going around. So David blesses her. He listens. Not all the time do people want to listen when they get in a head, head of steam and they start going this direction. But David did. You see, she appealed to the honor that was in him. And that's what we need to do. Verse 36, Now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much until morning light. So he's over there having a party. He's over there having a feast. He's got all kinds of people in the house, uh, all his friends, and probably his friends are nobody more than they, I'll hang out with him because there's some good food there. Nabal brings in some good food that's going over there. He's got some good wine. He's got some good desserts. Whatever it might be that they have, you know, let's, uh, let's go on over there. Let's enjoy it. And then, you know, we can get away from that scoundrel. But we had a good meal. We had a good time. So he's got this feast like he's a king. He's not a king. He's trying to pretend he's something that he's not. And most people that are scoundrels, most people that fit that description are trying to be something they are not. Whether they're being at your work, Wherever it is, they're always trying to portray an image that is greater than what they are. This just comes along with the package. This is what these these folks, this mindset will do. And this is what he's doing. So he's drunk. And so she tells him nothing until the morning. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal. And his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Now, more than likely, this is a wife telling her husband where she where he missed it. And you know, wives are not always real, real, um, real merciful when they exhort their husbands for the things that they've missed it on. And so she's probably just uh, got up there and says, "Now you listen to me. I had to stand up to David and all his army. I had to go out by myself." Because you wouldn't do it. Because you were too proud. So I had to go on out there. She's probably reaming him out. 
I had to go out there and put my life on the line. And I threw myself down in front of David and pleaded for your life because he was coming to kill you. But you're alive because he listened to me and he went back. Now you are a fool. Just like your name. You are a fool. And your foolishness would have caused all these men to have been dead. And she probably really laid it out to him like this. She didn't just come up to him like you, uh, some people might think. Uh, uh, honey, uh, we almost got in trouble yesterday, but I just want to let you know that we aren't. And I was able to work it out. And every, no, I don't think it was that way. I think she was coming after him. I think she's mad. And especially when you see how he responded. And his wife told him these things that his heart, when his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him and became like a stone. And then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Why does the Lord wait ten days to strike this guy? More than likely, and we have to wait to get to heaven, get the videotape, get God's commentary on it. But more than likely, what God was looking for was some repentance on Nabal's part. And so he got rebuked by his wife. He saw that his foolishness almost cost him everything. And during those ten days, when he was doing nothing, he's just laying there, he apparently never repented. Didn't change a thing in his heart. Just stayed going the same way. And after 10 days, God says, alright, judgment comes. And he was judged. So verse 39. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. So have you ever thought one of these scoundrels that's out there in your life? And maybe in the past, one of these scoundrels came into some hardship. Maybe they came into some some problems. Did you ever feel joy in your heart? Did you ever feel gladness in your heart? That Oh man, that scoundrel got what he was doing. What he was, what he was doing. And then you know that a second voice comes over and says, Oh, you shouldn't talk that way. You shouldn't think that way. Oh yeah, I shouldn't. And all your joy just left. Yeah, that's not David. David says, Glory be to God! Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. So not only did God keep me from killing him, God did it Himself. And not only that, <laughs> I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but David said, I'm going to go have his wife. I'm going to go take his wife as my wife. And uh, so he went over and he sent a proposal. I think it was more than likely he was very impressed with Abigail. And you're thinking, well, David's already married. Yeah, well, apparently that wife was taken and given to somebody else. Because you remember, Saul doesn't like David a whole lot right now. So they took uh, his wife and gave her to, to someone else. And so David feels, I guess, freed from that. And so he, he apparently feels a lot of freedom. Because after this, he proposes to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, 
They spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. She's had all these years living with this scoundrel. Either she didn't want to live with him and was forced to marriage by by arrangement or he became this evil person during the time of, of being married to him and she can't wait. What? I can get out of this? Yeah. <laughs> now here's the thing. David marries this gal what happens to the 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats? They're now David's and his men. And so the very stuff that they were protecting is now theirs. Verse 43. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel and so both of them were his wives. So he decided Abigail's not enough. He went out there and got a second wife. He's already acting the part of the king because kings do this. God told him when kings, when you have kings, they will multiply wives in themselves. He, he didn't tell them to do it. He didn't say it's a good thing to do. He didn't say it was the right thing to do. He said they're going to do it. It's, it's not a good thing to do whether you're a king or not a king. And David had problems with, with doing that. But Saul had given Michal, his, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Now, waiting for the God to execute judgment may take patience on our part. But in the end, the gain will outweigh the results of avenging yourself. Don't look to avenge yourself. Now, can you feel the pull that David did to act in a way so different from how he just treated Saul? He just treated Saul in a way Saul was evil toward him. More evil than Nabal had been. And he treated him mercifully. He treated him graciously. And then this one comes up and he's ready to kill the whole lot of them. I think some of this might have been carryover from what he was feeling with Saul. Don't know. But it would seem like that. And God stopped him with this. Now God didn't stop him with Saul. David had to stop himself. And in the chapter after this we're also going to see that he's going to have another opportunity with Saul. But can you feel that pull that David had? To act in a way that's so different? How do you think you would have done? If you were in this situation, how do you think you would have done? People who gain dishonorably may gain more in a short time, but their gains are short-lived. You may see people around you and they have made gains in their life because they lie, they cheat, and they steal. And they may have made some gains, but their gains are short-lived. For Nabal, it was even shorter lived than most. It's only going to last him for another 10 days. But you look at people in your life. What they have is only going to last them for as long as they're alive here on this earth. And it's over. How sad. But the gains that you have will last not only this lifetime, but the one that is to come. People of honor may not grow as fast, but their gains last those quick gains of theirs can often motivate the wrong actions well look at look at how fast i made this money boy if i just cheat and do all this stuff i can even make make stuff faster 
they can become temptations for us to do wrong ourselves. Look at how the evil have prospered. How many times have we heard that in the psalm? Look at how the evil have prospered. And it may be making us think, I just need to become more like the evil so that I can prosper just a little bit. Just get a little bit of that prosperity. And that will help me. But don't be tempted. Don't go over that way. Because if you start going in the way of dishonor, if you start going in the way of not letting the honor of God rule on your life, if you start going in a different direction, it won't take long until you can become like Saul, one who saw good but now sees evil. You can become like Nabal, one who may have saw good, may have even been good, but now is pure evil. May become one like Doeg, who maybe he did have some good in him before, but he sold out for doing evil. What about Judas? Wasn't there some good in him? Wasn't there some honor in him when Jesus picked him? And yet he sold out. If you start going down the way of dishonor, it will overtake you. Your view will change. Your perspective will change. And what you once saw as true and right will now be questioned. And then after you begin to question it, you'll go in a direction that you never thought you would have. This is how Israel fell into some of the idolatry that they did. How in the world could Israel ever fall into idolatry when God had shown themselves so strong? But they began to pursue other types of idols and leave God. And they even, if you remember going through some of the prophets, they even brought the evil into the temple itself. And God even talked to them and says, I was amazed. Not only did you go after some of these gods that were there, you went after the ones that caused you to sacrifice your kids. And God hated that. God separated that outside and said, that is just completely different to me than everything else that you have done. That is a level of evil I did not even imagine you would walk into. How could it even be attractive? Now, they did it in such ways where they took their kids and they put them on a burning altar and they listened while their kids screamed out. Infants screamed out as the flames heated up the altar and the brass altar that they were on began to to burn the skin until the child began to stop crying. And don't think that's any any much different from the abortions they do now where they have the silent screams, as they call it, as they rip the child by the limbs and then other parts of them until they have taken out all of the, of the baby. Or they just let the head come out and they sever the spine. These are evil practices. And yet Christians have come to the point that they can look at these and say these are fine. Why? Because we have forsaken the ways of God. We have allowed dishonor to come into us and what is honorable to God becomes not honorable to us. We don't honor the same things. And Israel got to a place where God says, I am chasing you from this land. They got so wrapped up into this that when they repented under the reign of Josiah, like no other repentance had ever come 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 about. And God says, everything that I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do. I don't care about your repentance. This has gone on too long and you have walked in way too much evil. 
This is not going to, you're not going to deter it. And he, one of the things he always seemed to cite is what happened to the children. Now, it doesn't mean that every person who's ever had an abortion is of the same evil. Most people I know of who ever had them have repented. And, Father, I did not know. I did not know. And do not think God has the same viewpoint as those who have walked in it in time after time. We have people in this country whose purpose is to kill as many babies as they can, to harvest baby parts and to sell them on the market. This is their purpose. This is why they're here. That is an evil that I think even goes beyond what Israel did. How does God look on these things? We need to look at things through the eyes of God, not through the eyes of men. The more dishonor I walk in, the more I will see what men do as making sense. The more of God I walk in, the more I will see the evil that is there. If you continue to walk in that honor and grow in that honor, your honor in you begins to rise up and you begin to to be above even other dishonor and you look out there and you say, I didn't even see that was dishonor before. But God wants you to be honorable because once again, the grace and the mercy and the favor of God draws blessings to you. But when you walk in dishonor, you will repel them. We gave you examples on that before. Jeroboam was an example. He drew the blessings of God to him and through dishonor, he repelled them. Saul drew the blessings of God to him and through dishonor, he repelled them. How many other kings are there in the Word of God? They drew the blessings of God to them and then they repelled them with their dishonor. Israel, the same thing. Don't drive it away. Stay in that honor. The world will tempt you to become like it and to act in a dishonorable way, a way in which God says that is not honorable, that is not honoring God, that is not letting the honor of God rule in you. Don't let them do it. Don't let this world do that to you. Stand up to it. Stand against it. Don't let it become part of you. It is a battle. Because the world is always working to compromise the Word, compromise God. Who is God to say He is the only way? Who is God to say that I can't do this? And these people that uh, push for the abortion are pushing for my body, my choice. Yeah, except when it comes to a vaccine. And suddenly it's not your body and it's not your choice anymore. How is, it that, how is that not inconsistent? Walk in the honor of God. When you do, you will see more dishonor around you, but you will know how to deal with it. And David is still learning some things. He was about ready to walk in a dishonorable way. And he, he got stopped. And he got put back on the right track. I don't care that you walk in honor to Saul and then turn around and dishonor someone. No, don't do that, David. I need you to operate at a higher level. David, I need you to be a king like no other. I need you to be a king that I can bless forever. I need you to establish a lineage of kingship that will have a reign forever. David, this is what I need of you. I don't need this of everyone, but I need this of you. Can you do this? And so God had to take him to a higher place. Where is God taking you? Don't let your choices today compromise what God wants to do with you in the future. Would you all stand up with me?
Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you have plans, you have purpose for us, you have places for us to go, things for us to do. We don't know all those plans, we don't know all those places, but you do. And I thank you that you, by your Spirit, are speaking to us about those plans, about those purposes, about that direction that you have for us, so that our actions today won't come back and haunt us when we're doing those things tomorrow. But we walk in the honor of God all our days so that no one can come back and say, yeah, but you did this. Yeah, but you went this way. Father, we walk in the wisdom of God. And I thank you that you help us every step of the way. We're not in this alone. We're not in this by ourselves. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Well, good to have all the dads here with us today. Those joining us online too. And a happy Father's Day to you and all the things that you do to to celebrate that today. Have a great rest of your day. Next Sunday we have the um, prayer class that will go on on afterwards. Uh, Wednesday night we finish off our series on James. And um, I think the rest of the announcements that you need are, are in your bulletin. You can check those out. Bless some people before you get out of here today and have a great one.